Last week, my family uh, watched the new Christmas movie, Spirited. Uh, It's the movie with Will Ferrell and Ryan Reynolds, uh, and it's a musical comedy based on the classic Christmas uh, story, uh, Charles Dickens' story, A Christmas Carol. And the movie was okay, okay, so not a glowing endorsement. We enjoyed it. It was fun. Uh, But it did raise a very important question. What do you do with someone who is unredeemable? And that got my attention because that's sort of a basic plot point of the whole Bible. The best moment in the film is the song that is sung by Will Ferrell, uh, believe it or not. And these are the words of the song. He says, am I forever unredeemable? Can I be the man who breaks from a lifetime of mistakes? Can my worst be left behind? And do I deserve to find the kind of love that I could lean on every day? Or will I learn I have to stay unredeemable? I really liked that verse. And I liked it because it's, it's a human question. It's an important question. And I think it hit a nerve with me, as it would for many of us, because the Bible places all of us in this category of human despair. But I wish the movie had done something better to answer that question. This is Hollywood, right? And so the answer the movie gives was, for me as a Christian, disappointing. The answer to the question, how do I become redeemable, was the last song of the movie. And it tells us to do a little good, give a little more, work a little harder than we did the day before. That was the big finish. And that's the most basic answer that's given by most religions in the world. Do you feel unredeemable? Try a little harder. Give a little more. And that's what most people think that life is all about. And what it means is that most people think of God the way we think about Santa Claus. He's watching over our lives, trying to see if we are naughty or nice. But that's not the God of the Bible. It's not the Christian faith. And what I want to do tonight, very briefly, is I want to read a chapter from the Bible that you won't typically hear during a Christmas sermon because it's found in the book of Revelation, a book that is full of symbolism and mystery. Many Christians won't go there. But what I want to do is I want to to read Revelation chapter 5 because I think it gives us a very clear picture about whose birth we're going to celebrate tomorrow morning. Revelation chapter 5, beginning in verse 1. It says, Then I saw in the right hand of him who was seated on the throne, a scroll written within and on the back, sealed with seven seals. So the chapter begins in the throne room of God, which was described in detail in chapter 4. God is sitting on his throne, 
And John sees that God is holding in his hand a scroll. That scroll contains, I believe, his will. Literally, his will. Um, You see, at that time, a legal will would often have seven seals and seven witnesses. With reference also to the book of Daniel, the scroll contains God's plan or his destiny as he desires it to be for the whole world. Look at verse 2. It says, And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? So opening the scroll means carrying out the plan and the purposes of God. And so the angel is asking, who's worthy to do that? Who is worthy to enact or to carry out God's plans and purposes for this world? Verse 3. And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look into it. And John says, I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. And so John says, I began to feel this despair. He says, I began to weep loudly at the possibility that nothing will ever change. That nothing will ever get better. What if no one is worthy We're able to do the good things that God has planned for us. What if this world is unredeemable? Verse 5. One of the elders said to me, Weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll And it's seven seals. So this is the turning point, right? Obviously, John sees that someone is found who is worthy to open the scroll, to reveal God's will, to do what God has planned. And that one person could only be the Lord Jesus, who is described in the Bible as the lion of the tribe of Judah and the root of David. That's Jesus. That's the Messiah. Verse 6. And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain with seven horns and with seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. I want you to notice that Jesus is described as both a lion and a lamb. One of those animals is fierce and powerful. The other is gentle and mild. Says that he sees this lamb has seven eyes, which represent Jesus's perfect presence. He has seven horns, which represent his perfect power. And notice John says the lamb looks as though it had been slain. And that's interesting to me because if the scroll is a will, as I think it is, it can only be legally opened once the person has died. And that's the symbolism here. 
Jesus is worthy in part because he died. Now we're going to finish reading the chapter beginning in verse 7. It says, And he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation, and you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. Then I looked and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders the voice of many angels numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea And all that is in them saying to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshiped. So after Jesus takes hold of the scroll, John sees this instant response from every creature in heaven and on earth. And I want us to try to imagine what that would be like. And it's kind of easy to read things like this because we're not there. We, you know, it's just words on a page. It's sometimes very difficult for us to, to feel this, to see it, to sense it. So to put it in perspective, there are, uh, I heard recently now, 8 billion people on planet Earth. One billion of those eight billion people watched the World Cup final last Sunday. And about 80,000 people were in the stadium watching the game live. I have a friend from Brazil. Uh, We met in high school. He was an exchange student. And we've kept up somewhat, and uh, he attended the final. And I sent him a message asking him what it was like to be there for such a great event. And he said, Mike, it was magical. It was unbelievable. Imagine the energy in a stadium with thousands of people watching the last moments of that game When the last penalty was kicked, everyone on the edge of their seats watching a ball roll into a net. And it was a great game. And it was probably watched by a record number of human beings. But I want you to think about this. In the end... It's only entertainment. 
That's all it is. A billion people took the time to watch, but it changed absolutely nothing about their lives. And seven billion people didn't care at all. Probably. Of course, it meant the most to the players who won. If you watched, if you were watching, many of them fell down in tears, overwhelmed at victory, celebrating. Now, by comparison, John says that Jesus receives this scroll and it instantly causes every single creature in heaven and earth to instantly cry out in worship with all, he says, with all that is in them. Physical emotion pouring out of every single living creature, every angel, every human, every animal, not just on the land, he says, but in the sea. Crying out as if all of them had just won the greatest prize in the universe. Not as a spectator, but as a victor. Does that help? Just a little to imagine what this must be like, this vision. Every single living thing celebrating all because the unredeemable have been redeemed. Not just from one group of people, but from every, every tribe and every language and every people and every nation. So my question for you, and I hope you're thinking this, I hope you're asking is, I mean, that's great, preacher. You can talk about you know, the Bible saying everybody's going to celebrate. Well, you know, you look around the world today, everybody's not celebrating Jesus, right? And for many people, Christmas is just, you know, it's just a fun holiday. We're not worshiping anybody. We're just worshiping ourselves, if anything else, right? And so the question that we should be asking ourselves, even as Christians, is how do we experience this kind of victory? How do we experience this kind of emotion? How do we experience the kind of joy that is described in this vision such that physical emotion is just pouring out of, of us in a way that is, is essentially uncontrollable? Such that we see Jesus receive this, this, this victory and this scroll and, and just everyone falls in worship and, and, and shouting and how do we experience something like that? I mean, this is what we want Christmas to be about as Christians if we believe in Jesus. So where is that kind of emotion? I want to suggest that to experience that kind of worship that's described in Revelation chapter 5, in some ways we won't perfectly until Jesus returns, but... There is a hint at how this works in the chapter. In order to experience this kind of joy, this kind of worship, 
we must first experience the kind of despair that's described at the beginning of the chapter. Do you remember? John looked and it seemed as if no one would be found worthy and he wept loudly. See, if you're going to celebrate Jesus the way that Jesus is meant to be celebrated, then you must first feel the despair that no one else is worthy. Not even you. Not even me. I think that must be it. Martin Luther said it well. He said, God has assuredly promised His grace to the humble. That is, to those who lament and despair of themselves. But no man can be thoroughly humbled until he knows that his salvation is utterly beyond his own powers, devices, endeavors, will, and works. And depends entirely on the choice, will, and work of another, namely of God alone. For as long as he is persuaded that he himself can do even the least thing toward his salvation, he retains some self-confidence and does not altogether despair of himself. And therefore he is not humble before God. But presumes that there is, or at least hopes or desires, that there may be some place, some time, or some work for him by which he may attain at length to salvation. But when a man has no doubt that everything depends on the will of God, that he completely despairs of himself and chooses nothing for himself, but waits for God to work, then he's come close to grace. And that is the way. I believe that we will worship Jesus when we really believe that He's the only one worthy of it. And until then, we will enjoy our traditions. We will sing our carols. We will light our candles. We will try a little harder. We will give a little more. And be no closer to the God who created us, the God who redeems the unredeemable. The table that is set before us is an opportunity to both feel the despair and the joy that is typical of people who love Jesus. And if you've been around Christians for some time, you may have sensed we have this struggle going on inside, right? Sometimes we seem miserable and sometimes we seem happy. And there are times when both of those things are part of the Christian journey. That's sort of the mystery of the cross. The cross is both the worst thing ever and the best thing ever at the same time. The judgment of God intersected with the mercy of God. And so we come to this table 
as believers sort of experiencing both things. We come feeling completely unworthy to be here because of what it represents. And at the very same time, we leave confident and cheerful because of what it represents. Amen. So you're invited to this table tonight. This table does not belong to me or to Christ Fellowship or the Presbyterian Church. It belongs to the Lord Jesus. And He invites all those who profess faith in Him publicly to partake with us. Um, If you have not done that, you don't have to come. Just stay where you're at and pray and ask God to reveal Himself to you. We'll pray with you that that happens. The Bible says clearly that if you do not receive this in faith in Christ, then you are essentially eating and drinking judgment on yourself. And we don't want you to do that. So it's okay to stay and no one will judge you for it. Um, The way we're going to do this in just a moment after the words of institution is uh, Paxton's going to come and stand over here. We'll stand on each side. And uh, I'm going to move the candles back just a tad. And then we're just going to come down the middle, receive the elements, and go back to our chairs. We're not going to do the normal thing around the table tonight just because we don't want anybody catching fire. So um, (laughs) let's pray together. Lord Jesus, thank You for Your grace. Uh, Thank You for being both the Lion and the Lamb. Thank You for Your boldness and Your willingness to come to earth, to live, to die, to rise again. Lord Jesus, we thank You for this table, for the means of grace it is for us as Your children. We pray that You would strengthen our hearts, that even as we come uh, despairing of our works and of our sin, would You lift up our hearts and our eyes to know that we have confidence in Your blood. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We pray this in Your name. Amen. On the night in which the Lord Jesus was...